Chapter Eleven, Part One. Red Molly. I had just started my final pass on Chapter Ten when I heard someone ask, "Is the mayor in?" It took a few seconds for me to realize the woman was asking me, and that I was going to have to break my train of thought. I looked up from my laptop and noticed, first, the oversized sweatshirt of the bright, obnoxious color you only see on construction workers or on people from the 1980s. It was so bright, my eyes had to get used to it before I could clearly see the person wearing it. I'd never seen her before, which. Was really not a surprise. She stood there on the fake front lawn of the mayor's house, looking like Veruca Salt after snatching some weird gum in Wonka's candy factory, or like a four-year-old forced to wear her dad's shirt because she got ice cream all over her bib overalls. Not that I know anything about that, you understand. I shook my head, eager to get that image out of my head, and back to my journal before I lost a thought. I pointed to the hanging sign on the oak front door under the one reading "Open Door Policy." It read closed. Damn, she responded, but did not leave. Know when he'll be back? I lost that thought. Resigned to taking a break, I tried to figure out what was to do about Dayglow girlfriend hanging out in my shady spot. Her look of disappointment seemed significant, not "darn I forgot to TiVo Vampire Diaries" disappointed, but more "damn I really need a laxative and the pharmacy's closed." I pressed a little bit to see what she needed. She said she only wanted to talk to the mayor. He could help her. She declared with forced confidence. I leaned on her assumption that I was associated with the mayor to see if I could help. Is there anyone else in the manager's office who could help? I asked. She shook her head and sneered like I was tech support, asking if she turned her phone off and on again to solve her problem. It wasn't an intentional thing or an insult to me. I got the impression that she was so wrapped up in her drama that she wasn't really seeing me at all. I understood why going to the management wasn't the best option. The mayor was. Elected by the residents, well, maybe a dozen or so of them who voted to represent the needs of the residents to the management. I understand. I told her, "If you'd like, I'll write him a note. You were here." With this, her mind seemed to finally catch up with her actions, and she stopped to consider me for a moment. She looked tired, distracted, and perhaps a little scared. The look on her face suggested she was trying to decide if I was worth the risk talking to. She seemed to desperately need it. Not having a hound in that hunt, I didn't push any further. I waited for her and tried to keep a pleasant smile and neutral expression. This woman is maybe my age, a head shorter with a little more mileage on her face, showing up as a few lines on her face that I see in chronic club hoppers or single moms. If the clothes she wore weren't just picked up from the swap meet, I imagined she'd lost a lot of weight. Even her leggings were loose. Her dyed red hair had faded and was growing out into blonde at the roots. Despite how it sounds, it wasn't a bad look for her.
A lot of women were already reverting to their natural colors and accepting the faces and shapes God gave them. It was refreshing to see, to be honest. Jill, I finally offered with a hand outstretched. Molly, she finally replied and took my hand a second later. She also took a seat on the porch stairs next to me, and the sweatshirt collapsed around her like rolls of blankets. Her next move was to try and pull a non-existent pack of cigarettes out of an invisible breast pocket, a habit she tried to gracefully turn into a check for something else in the non-existent pockets of her leggings. Nervous gestures, heavy exhales, <laughs> she was guilty of something or very scared. She smelled like the perfumed soap we get for the showers. She began to nervously inspect her fingernails, cutting bits of what appeared to be scabs from underneath. You okay? I think the mayor's upstairs with the managers. She asked the question, trying to make it sound like a joke, but hoping the answer was not. You don't happen to have a cigarette on you, do you? I shook my head. Molly folded her hands in her lap and leaned forward like she was cold. That was her body throwing a fit for lack of nicotine. According to David, there were still enough contraband smokes in the warehouse to keep people hooked and drive up the barter prices to include manual labor or other favors from those without the means to trade away their belongings. Along with the moonshine and prescription drug racket, it's another ingredient in the gunpowder we're making inside this place, I guess. While I worked out a way to suspend my last journal entry and focus on Molly, she asked, You ever do something you never thought you'd do for something really meaningless? So much for small talk. In the back of my head, I pictured a scene from a Bob Dylan song playing out. A lonely rolling stone making a deal with some mystery tramp. She'd looked into the vacuum of his eyes, I was sure, and it didn't matter who I was. She was going to tell me what was on her mind. I think we all have, Molly. These days I think it's the exception if you didn't. True fact, and not one that is surprising to anyone, but the interesting thing was that Red Molly wanted to talk about it. Everyone around me in the warehouse had gone through some tour of hell to survive this long. But once we all emerged into this Medicean purgatory, we all started to pretend like none of it ever happened. At least, openly. I guess so, she sighed. What you do? I almost laughed. I closed my laptop and shifted my butt around so I could face her. That's a little personal, isn't it? Besides, you're the one asking. She looked hurt and embarrassed, like her question escaped without due consideration. I wasn't upset, but I was caught off guard and didn't have a good answer. After letting her hang there for a moment, I added, It's okay. I just don't like thinking about the outside. So, you trying to bum a smoke off the mayor, or what? I tried that one with a smile. No effect. Do you know Hank? She asked, dropping the name to a whisper. The 
Oh, yes. I knew of Hank the Pimp. Not really a pimp in the classic Huggy Bear style with the big fur coats and purple silk suits, but nicknamed for his reputation in Wishwell for tricking out redneck trucks and fixing up crappy abandoned houses. Also, selling drugs, contraband, and... He certainly represented that mystery tramp with vacuous eyes. I replied I had, mentioning he once tried to sell me a stack of old magazines for two breakfast meal coupons. I left out seeing him near the women's showers and creeping around the stockroom stairwells where I'm told he pimps his wares. Not a nice person, I'm told. What about him? Through a long, stuttering, halting, and snaking explanation, Molly told me about how she made a deal to go on a date. In exchange for a carton of Marlboros, a veritable treasure, and a few other small items, she agreed to go out with Manager Jack. If there is a creep in this place creepier than Hank, it's Jack. With Hank, you can at least tell he's out for himself and doesn't care. If you don't want to deal with him, you simply don't. For those with vices or needs the facility can't fill, that's tough. But I don't have that problem. Jack is a different story. He is in charge of the constables. He is also the floor manager when the big manager isn't around. If you need a better place to sleep or you'd prefer planting seeds to emptying trash cans, Jack's the man you have to see and his decisions are usually based on... Well, I can't really say. Maybe the voice is in his head. He stares through people and makes observations about people and situations that suggest he's spying on residents around the site. He's not loud or violent like Jeb, but he has two things that make life difficult for people like me. Power and perversions. Jack is a scary guy. He has never shown emotion in my experience, even when it came time to shut the gates and strand people outside. I remember that day, seeing him with his hand on the kill switch, staring down at the frothy pink smear oozing up under the door. Like every other situation, he confirmed the task was complete, the conversation over, and he walked away to let others clean up the mess. There's also something... Unnatural. Between Manager Jack and the office secretary, Ruby. Ruby is this flighty middle-aged bucket of neuroses who I guess Jack sees as an easy and willing outlet for his desires. Krantz once asked Ruby why she brought two outfits to work with her, knowing it's because Jack likes to start off the proceedings by literally tearing Ruby's clothes off, leaving her in a girdle and support hose. Ruby swears it's because she's clumsy with coffee. For his own weird reasons, Krantz keeps one of Ruby's torn rayon blouses in the constable station near the down under. He found it in the trash after he and Ruby spent the afternoon together and pretty much trashed the office. Ruby showed up the next day with welts on her neck and bruises up and down her arms and legs. Horrified, Krantz asked if she had some sort of coffee crisis the day before. 
She laughed and kept a cold compress on her swollen eye the rest of the day. That's how Jack works. All that anger, pain, and frustration doesn't end up with the constables or the management. It ends up on Ruby or whatever meat puppet Hank sends his way. So you can understand why I was concerned that Molly would agree to date Jack for whatever reason. It took me a few odd questions to get her to explain that date meant just that. It wasn't, she assured me, a euphemism for going to some dark corner of the warehouse to let Jack rut on her. But it was actually worse than that. The deal was that Molly would go to dinner with Jack up in the manager's office, eat the food they get to eat, and drink wine, maybe watch some television on a soft couch together. No promises, no obligations. Except that Jack must be happy with the date for Molly to get her trade. Good Lord, I wanted to say to her. Woman, are you out of your day-glow mind? Of course, when you're dealing with Jack and Hank, there's no on-second thoughts or walking away. In short order, Molly found herself at the end of an entrapment situation. Date. Jack, or spend time in jail for soliciting contraband. I asked her when, and she said Jack was getting off work in about an hour. And that's when it got weird. Hank the pimp rounded the corner from Cedar Village and onto Main Street. Molly tensed, and when he made eye contact, prepared to bolt into the stacks. I put a hand on her shoulder, and she stopped. Hank managed that sticky, rotting, poisonous smile reserved for new marks or the people who owe him and changed course up toward us. Molly trembled. I am Molly. Miss Jilly. Over his shoulder, in the window of the upstairs office, I made out the pear shape of Manager Jack standing in the shadows. I imagined him staring down at his prey, counting down the minutes until she arrived. And I imagine Hank was there to make sure she didn't disappoint him.